welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Shannon Knoll made an old song popular again a few years ago. I remember the original. That shows that I'm getting old. Before he sang this song, Moving Pictures, I think it was, sang the better version. It's amazing how the older you get, the better things were. And he sang this song, it went something like this. There's a little boy... He sung it, of course. I'm just going to say it. It's like a bass, but on the cello. For those School of Rock lovers, that's funny. But most people here have never seen the film. Looking like, get on with it. So I'm going to get on with it. There's a little boy waiting at the counter of the corner shop. He gets pushed around, knocked to the ground. He gets to his feet and he says, What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough and I want my share. Can't you see? I want a little. But you just take more than you give. What about me? (laughs) Who's heard that song and thought, that's a great song? It is a great song. It's probably the greatest song that reflects the culture of the age in which we live. If I wanted to summarise the culture in which we live and I wanted a song, I'd probably say, this is it. What about me? I've had enough. The music's too loud. The service is too long. The preacher's going on and on. Twice on Sunday? Are you kidding me? What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough and I want my share. And so we take something out of the offering bucket instead of putting it in. <laughs> it's prevalent in our society and unfortunately it's prevalent in the church. This prevailing attitude that says, what about me? It's crept not into just the church, but it's crept into our theology. Our theology has become self-centred. How we read the Bible is interpreted through my eyes. We live in a me, myself and I generation. It's the I part, the I pad, the I phone. Everything revolves around 
me. We develop our understanding and our decision-making processes around this theology. And it creeps into the way we parent, into the way we lead. I think it's amazing that I've had to watch on television just this week. I mean, what a historic week it's been in politics. Isn't that wonderful? Our first female prime minister. Are you kidding me? For me to say, yes, that's awesome. I have to overlook a whole heap of things. Are you kidding me? Hey, Geordie, isn't it great? We've got a female prime minister. Everything that took place to get her there is what I'm trying to beat out of our kids. Are you kidding me? Welcome visitors, how are you doing? It's all right. It may be cool, but do you really want that to be the process of how things are done in your family, in your life? Is that the way you want this church to run? Is that the way you want your life to run? It's not my ideal. Some might even interpret what I've just said as Tony's against female leadership. You may see the point. I'm against backstabbing. I'm against the carpet being pulled from under your feet. I'm against someone who says, no, I'm not, I'm not contesting for the leadership and within less than 24 hours, there she is. I'm sorry, I can't celebrate it. But it does highlight something that's true of most of us in this room that we like to please ourselves rather than please God. And with that in mind, and with all that's happening in our world today, I want to bring a new series to you that I've called Holy, Holy. You'll have to look at the spelling to get it. Being Holy, Holy. I realise I stand up here and I realise every time, I pray every time I get up here because I know I am walking into the lion's den. Pretty much most things I say are unpopular with most people I know. I know that. It's not that what I say isn't true, it's just that we don't like it. Yet nonetheless, it is my job to first be an example, which is hard enough in and of itself. But then it's my responsibility as one of the pastors of this church to teach the ways in which we ought to live. In actual fact, if I had to summarize the mandate of my life, some might say it's evangelism, others might say it's signs and wonders, others might say it's prophecy. For me, 
I feel the mandate on my life is to teach people how to live. And I never tire of doing it. I get energized by teaching people how to live. Some people dismiss me as, oh, that's very practical. Fantastic. Some people use that as a term to put me down. So very simple. You mean it was so simple you understood it? Brilliant. Because that's what I try and do. I work really hard at trying to keep things simple and practical. The hardest thing is seeing it put into practice. And that's out of my hands. But this series will challenge you. But I want you to know it challenges me. As I prepare this and think about it and read God's word, I get challenged. And I'm on a journey with you. I'm not standing up here telling you that I've arrived. We're in this together. I didn't know what I was going to say this morning in light of Dave's death, but you heard what I did. I might have to buy the tape and listen to it because I don't know what I said. But we're on a journey together. So please, and I say this because the easiest thing right now is just to turn off and dismiss everything I'm about to say. But I implore you, I encourage you to stay with me and to listen to what I'm about to share today and into the next few weeks. Because there's coming a day where we will stand before this King of glory and you'll find what I say today will be more in keeping with that day than what most of us are presently thinking. It's our thinking that needs to change, not God's word. In actual fact, God's word will not change. Our thinking has to change. It's always the loan that's good when you talk like this. If I talk about prosperity and blessing, which I believe is a part of following Christ, it gets a lot more vocal and it's a lot more exciting than this. And we've talked about those things and it's been fun and exciting. But this is a series I feel so strongly about for our future. And in this series, I want to look at the holiness of God, the effects of His holiness, and our response to His holiness. And that could take a couple of weeks. It could take a little bit longer. I've got a feeling it might take just a little bit longer, like the rest of our lives. But with that in mind, let me start this thing off by saying this, that God is holy. If you're taking notes, point number one, God is holy. Or to quote says, God is holy. That's how he says it. South American, talking like an Englishman. What is that? Holy. In other words, holiness is what God is in himself. God doesn't try and be holy. He is holy. His holiness is the transcendent attribute of God. It's the attribute above all attributes. His holiness. God is a holy God. 
I love being down the front here, jumping up and down to some kind of music that gets us going. I love that. But when we do that, let's never ever forget that our God is a holy God. The Bible says He's a consuming fire. He's a holy, holy God. The angels stare in the face of God Almighty and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because He's holy. You don't hear them saying, He's cool. He's holy. Our God is a holy God. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, it says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. A.W. Tozer says this, that we cannot grasp the true meaning of divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising that concept to the highest degree we are capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. We know nothing like His divine holiness. And I think therein lies the problem. We compare ourselves to others. And if we're around someone who's really good, we feel really bad. And if we're around someone who's really bad, we feel really good. But none of those things have got anything to do with our true plumb line, our true measure, and that's God Himself. You think of Mother Teresa, you think of someone who you would put in the holy category and then up it because it's God. It's, God is nothing like that. We can't comprehend the holiness of God Almighty. That's what A.W. Tozer is saying here. His holiness is manifest in His works. This is how we know God's a holy God. Because His holiness is manifest. It's tangible. It's present. And we see that in His works. In Psalm 145 verse 17, it says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and loving towards all He has made. In Genesis chapter 1, it says everything God created was good. Nothing God made was bad. Things got bad when people decided to ignore God. But God created that which was good. So His holiness is seen in His creation. His holiness is manifest in His laws. In Romans 7 verse 12, are these coming up behind me? So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. You see, the law forbids sin in all its forms, large or small, in thought or deed. The law is holy. Do not steal. How many would agree with this? If there was no stealing in the world today, would it be in a better place or a worse place? A better place. And God's law says do not steal because He's a holy God. His laws are good. Can you imagine if this world and there wasn't a scrap of adultery on the face of the planet, would it be better or worse? Better. What does God's law say? Do not commit adultery because the law is good. Can you imagine if, if we didn't covet our neighbour's possessions? Can you imagine that? No one was jealous of anything anyone had. 
Now, let me ask you this. Would the world be in a better place if we didn't covet? Yes or no? It would. And that's what God's law says. Thou shalt not covet. Because God's law is holy and God's law is good. So His holiness is seen and manifest in the law. His holiness is manifest in His hatred towards sin. See, he hates everything that is contrary to his law. In Proverbs 15, verse 26, it says, the law detests the thoughts of the wicked. Do you know there's a scripture that says God hates divorce? And that's caused confusion amongst those who've experienced divorce. But I wanna tell you, God hates divorce. Why? Because of the carnage it brings. It doesn't say he hates you, the divorcee but he hates divorce. I have not seen a divorced person go through divorce with no suffering, no pain, no problems. It's always a nightmare. And so God says, I hate it because I hate what it brings. That's good. See, what you've got to understand about love is love hates evil. And we as Christians need to understand that. This is where our passion should come from. We get riled about some things that are not right. We don't just say, oh, we've got to love everyone and everything. No, we don't. Love, the Bible says in Romans 12, 18. (laughs) Romans 9, 12, 12, 9, something like that. It says, love hates evil. In other words, David, just as a little shepherd boy, he's the guy that took on Goliath. But before he took on Goliath, he was looking after sheep. And David said, uh, was, was sent out by his father to look after sheep. And because he loved his father, and because he loved his father's command, that's what he... And David said, uh, was, was sent out by his father to look after sheep. And because he loved his father, and because he loved his father's command, that's what he did. He looked after the sheep. As a teenage boy, he looked after his father's sheep. And do you know what? Part of that protect, uh, looking after them meant he had to feed them. He had to pat them. He had to name them. He had to talk to them. <laughs> had to shear them. Like, I don't know. Had to look after them. But part of looking after them meant protecting them. And when there was a big bad bear who was hungry one day and wanted to eat one of the sheep, David puts himself in between the sheep and the bear and defends the sheep by killing the bear. And this isn't meant to be a joke. I always get a giggle when I say this, but the Bible says that that David killed the bear with his bare hands. Now, here's the thing. David didn't hate bears and David didn't have a thing against bears. David didn't go hunting bears. He just hated what was hurting that which was in his care. I mean, if a cat was mauling my child, like as a baby and couldn't defend themselves, I'd pick that cat up, I would swing it by the I would throw it gladly against the wall until it never moved again. But I wouldn't do that just for fun. 
Some of you don't believe me, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't because I would have to face Belinda every week and I couldn't do that. I don't think God would have a problem with it. I think Belinda would. God hates divorce. The kids, the pain in the kids. I don't see God smiling at that moment. And we misinterpret because we, we struggle to be holy. So we struggle to think like God. And so we get all bent out of shape. What's wrong with the boys again? And we miss the point. God's holiness is manifest in so many ways. That's why I know he's a holy God. Secondly, holiness leads to healthiness. See, God's first concern for his universe is its moral health, not your comfort, not my comfort. God's concern is for, for the universe is for moral health. My concern for our kids is their health. That's why they don't eat donuts 24-7. If I let them have their way, that's all they would eat. With redskins. And chocolate. And lollipops and ice blocks. But I'm concerned about their health. So I say, no. Why is it when God says no, because he's concerned about our health, we get upset? Because we're acting like kids. How many parents know what I mean when you say, you can't have that. Eat your Brussels sprouts. It's good for you. In actual fact, growing up, this is what I learned. A lot of things that are good for you don't taste good. And a lot of things that are good for you don't sound good. Peter says that in the last days, there'll be those that just preach what your itching ears want to hear, not hear. Because I'm concerned about our health. To be healthy... It must be holy. You see that in businesses, marriages. You can have a holy marriage by not coveting, by not committing adultery, by not stealing, by not lying, by not cheating. How many would agree that you start putting that into your marriage, you're going to have a healthier marriage? Can you see that? Jesus is coming for a healthy church. Whatever causes ill health is under his eternal displeasure. That's where conviction comes upon us. When we're doing something that he doesn't like, you will feel convicted. You can put it down to being, oh, I'm just condemned. In a meeting like this, you can go away feeling condemned. But that's not the intention the intention is that we would hear and let God reveal things in our lives that are causing him displeasure and out of a love for him, we choose to change. It's called conviction. 
It's the work of sanctification. We are being changed. When God seeks to right a wrong, to save a world from moral collapse, when he seeks to move upon a people, move upon a society, move upon a family, it's for our own good and for our health and because he loves us. And God's wrath or wrath is seen so that his holiness will prevail. His wrath comes to preserve that which is holy. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, the health of creation are inseparable. God's wrath is his utter intolerance for anything that kills, steals, or destroys. I've never seen a mother yet who's happy at the diagnosis of her child having cancer. There's this righteous indignation. There's this anger towards the cancer because it's robbing their child of life. Do you know one of the things that blessed me and it's one of my highlights this year and Ben, I can vouch for this. I was in the shed doing a workout. That's where I work out and build my body. Like Arnold. Arnold was asked once if he drank milk. He said, I drink beer. Milk is for babies. That's got nothing to do with my preacher. It's just a light in the moment. And I forgot my thought. I'm in the gym working my body. That's right. And dad walked in as he often does. And dad's awesome. He just does this fatherly thing. Anyone who's been to our gym knows he'll just sit there. He goes, how are you doing, cock? That's dad's way of saying, g'day, mate. And I said, hey, dad, uh, I don't know if you've already heard. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I tell you this because I know you've got a soft spot for Judy and I know you're a man who prays. And I said, Dave's been diagnosed with cancer. This was a few months back, a couple of months back. And my dad, you should have seen him. He didn't go, oh, that's sad. He didn't go, oh. There was something that went off inside of him. <laughs> there was something, he got so mad. He scared Benno. Six foot five Benno, scared. It was awesome. Dad stands up, he kicks the shed. Then he gets in the doorway and he rattles the shed. He said a few things I can't repeat. <laughs> because he was just so mad at this cancer seeking to take someone's life. 
And I thought, if I'm ever in need, I want him praying for me. Dad's not related to this man, not by blood. Dad hardly knows this man, really. But what a reaction. The Bible says, I would rather you hot or cold instead of that pathetic thing in the middle called indifference. Do you know when a wedding's over, a marriage is over? When it's become indifferent. If you're fighting, there's hope. Because communication is a good part of married. It's better to be fighting than saying nothing. Indifference sucks. I'd rather you hot or cold. But because you are indifferent, because you don't care, or because you don't give a rip about anything or anyone other than yourselves, I'm going to spew out of my mouth because that makes me sick. I hate passionless people. I hate it. So when I say that, what do you got against? I hate passionless people. Not the people, but I hate the passionlessness. I know it's not a word. Is it? (laughs) Put it in my dictionary. We're making a dictionary as we go. I'm out of time. Can we have our musicians up? I, I want to sing this song again. I've got some more points. We'll go through that later. Church, I know I'm not always understood. And I know sometimes I've stood up here and I've said some things that I've regretted and actually had to undo and apologize for. And I've owned that. But when I speak to you on such subjects, can we please not write everything I say off as he's just an idiot? What would he know? Yes, I am an idiot. And there's lots I don't know. But before you write off what I say because it's too hard, before you write off what I say because you don't like it, before you write off what I say, Because you don't agree. Can you please at least invite Jesus in? Before you dismiss it all, can you at least invite Him in? Can I let you in on a little secret in getting me? To get me, you've got to understand something about me. I'm a man who's on planet Earth under sufferance. I want to be in heaven today. I do. I want to be with Dave. I do. I'd rather be there. Not to be with Dave. I like him, but I, I love Jesus. And I don't mean to be insensitive to those that are grieving the loss of Dave or anyone else who's been lost more recently. But yes, I want to see my kids grow up. Yes, I want to see them get married. I would love to walk my daughter down the aisle. But you know what, from a purely selfish point of view, if I could have a choice of being in heaven today with Jesus, I would choose that. I just would. I love my wife, I do. And I'm happy to grow old with her. But there's something in me that would rather be with Jesus. 
And I feel like Paul, Paul said these words. He says, I'm torn. I'd rather be with Jesus, Paul says, but it's for your sakes I feel I need to stay a bit longer. And I feel it's for the sake of others that God wants me to hang around a bit longer. See, I don't know what you think of heaven and I don't know what you think about hell. But what you think about heaven and what you think about hell will determine how you do life. And that's why I want to do a series on life and death, heaven and hell. Because I think we've forgotten. There was a man who was to be executed because of all the atrocious murders he'd committed. And the vicar came to him and read him the last rites and told him about hell and told him about this place of eternal damnation and incredible suffering that if he didn't repent, he would go there and spend all time and eternity there. And this man, this is a true story. This man looked this vicar in the eye and he said, I care nothing for your religion nor for your faith. But if I did, and if I truly believe what you say, and if all of England were covered in broken glass, I would walk every square inch of her to tell people to avoid such a place. You see, our biggest problem is us. We live such passionless lives that people want to believe us, but they can't because we don't believe it ourselves. This man had enough knowledge to say, if I believe what you believe, I'd be doing much more than you. Eternal damnation. Eternal torment. That's what hell is. We'll talk more about that later. But there's a man and his name's Jesus and he can save you from that place. Oh, I would walk the length and breadth of England on broken glass to get that message out. Here's the thing. We don't have to walk on broken glass. We've just got to open our mouths. We've just got to care a little bit more than we do. We've just got to think a little bit differently more than we do. We've just got to start loving a little bit more than we do. We've just got to start coming a little bit more like Jesus. I'm not there. I'm going to sing this song as a love song to Jesus. I'm going to turn my mic off because you won't like the sound of my voice. But Jesus will take every word And it'll bring a smile to his face. And whether you're mourning or rejoicing today or somewhere in between, I want you to use this song as a wake-up call. As a love song to Jesus. It's about seeking his face. Often we seek his hands for what he can do and what he can give. This is not that song. This is one where we seek his face. I want to know you. Will you stand with me, please? 
This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.